Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, Season 3, Episode 30. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm the Food Professor, Sylvain Chalabois. Sylvain, happy Father's Day. Happy belated Father's Day to you. and and. That's uh, right. I uh, hope you had a great day. I had a barbecue fest, as you might imagine. And, yes. Uh, far, I had Father's Day lobster, which was uh, delicious. It mm. was delicious, but I can't say I enjoyed it. Why? It, it was $80 for three lobsters. And they were what delicious. Was the mortgage, what was the mortgage rate on those? Yeah, I, I, you know, cash in a kidney to get some lobsters. But, <laughs> you know, they, they, they were delicious, but I couldn't get out of my head as I was eating them and sharing them that it was $80 and it kind of ruined the experience for me. So I'm like, right. you know, was that a good spend of my money, you know, special occasion and all that, but 80 bucks. That's a lot of money. It's a lot yeah, of money. That it's is a lot, a lot, of, lot money. of money. And I got a pair of on runners. Have you seen these, the new hipster shoe? You're a runner. Have you, have you got, have you heard of on running? No, no. Oh, I, the I, hottest run, I run now. the old fashioned way. I don't get steroids or, you know, help. bare feet. Do you run in bare yes. feet? I'm very bare honest. Feet. All right, I'm going to send you a pair of these on running. They are sweeping the market. Uh, very, and you know, I'm not a runner. This is the irony of this entire what's conversation. What's the difference? So what's, what's with these shoes? What's the difference? Uh, there are three elements. One is uh, there's a technology in, the, in the, how they run and bounce and the design. The design is very sustainable uh, for a bunch of reasons. And they're just a hipster shoe. Uh, and they're new and kind of really interesting. And they're, they're, they got a billion-dollar valuation now, and they're very... Hot, you know, I see people on the stage wearing. I'm going to wear, you know, me. I'm going to wear them on the stage uh, to look like a hipster. Um, they're a hipster right. shoe, but uh, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to send you a pair because they're really, they're really. Uh, I find them comfortable, but you know, I'm just you know, standing on the stage. I'm, so I'm a, I actually really like thin uh, mm. soles just because I like to feel the ground when I when I run. Okay. I run mostly in the woods. Yeah. In parks, not on asphalt. Okay. But I suspect that the shoes that you're talking about are very effective on asphalt, on, on hard surfaces, correct? Yeah, that's a very good, uh, not even observation, that's a very good uh, conclusion based on what I just said, because most of the people, most people don't run in the forests, right? Yep. Uh, most people run on pretty pretty hard surfaces. So I think that's where these, yep. these shoes are winning. Anyway, there's not a podcast about shoes or footwear. Uh, well, you got to spend the energy to, uh, to have that's an appetite true. and eat food. And, there you go. You know. I love how a full circle. Um, <laughs> speaking of in, uh, innovation and technology, our very special guest on this episode is Felix Jung, all the way from Hong Kong, but late at night for him, uh, talking yeah. to us about his IXON food technology. Now, he's a Kickstarter graduate. He's crafted oh, yeah. the tech that you can ship and store products at room temperature for like a year. Like it's pretty, uh, I, we just did the interview and uh, I, I found it just fascinating. So uh, you, our listeners have got a real treat coming up. And how did you meet Felix? Where did you come across each other? I mean, I guess it's a big food science world, but yeah, it's, 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 thr it's through uh, the Creative Destruction Lab in Calgary, ah, okay. basically. Okay. He asked me to mentor him and I said, well, what do you do? And well, we actually have this technology that keeps uh, meat fresh at room temperature for up to two years and i was skeptical sure and so basically i told him send me samples to my home and if i eat and survive <laughs> i'm going to be a, your mentor and voila i'm still how around you, how, often, how often do you make that uh, that offer hey listen I, I don't know about your product but if i eat it and i survive i'm, I'm on 
then I'm, I'm on board. But it, honestly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah. delicious, and uh, yeah. so I'm happy. And we'll be talking about uh, yeah. some of his uh, some of his events that he's been running to convince people because it's it's hard to believe, and yeah. he's he's really a disruptor when it comes to Absolutely. packaging and logistics. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, so we'll leave the rest of that to the interview because it's really fascinating. Uh, and he, really he fascinating. was an editor for he was an editor for Nature for seven years. You don't that, become yeah, an yeah. editor for Nature if you're an idiot. I can tell yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the for the listeners. That's probably the most prestigious peer-reviewed magazine in food. Yeah, food science, and, and nature. Science. They're basically yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into the news. So uh, last week, uh, actually, uh, between when we recorded and when we released our last episode, the House Commons report was released. Uh, it, gen- it generally looked like it was released to generally positive reviews by many constituencies, which uh, in one way sounded to me like they did a good job, covered a lot of bases. They made some specific recommendations. One recommendation seemed to be a little off-putting. Uh, what what was it? The windfall tax. But uh, let's let's start at the yeah. That at the was top recommendation and, number nine. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's start at the top. I mean, what what was your overall um, view? You participated uh, and you uh, you provided some testimony, and I think your in fact some of your research was quoted in the report. I read through the report. So what what was your overall assessment? And then um, I, let's let's put it in wins and fails. It, 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 maybe there's no fails, but you know what did you think they did right, and what do you think that maybe they they missed the mark on? The report actually had 13 recommendations. 11 of them uh, were really about setting up a food policy for Canada. You know, uh, the committee looked at uh, food safety, support for farmers, feeding the north. Uh, there was mm-hmm. it was a mixed bag of different things, and all of them were quite important and relevant. But it had nothing to do really with. You know, food inflation and gouging or profiteering, it had, it had everything to do with a food policy for Canada. So, and I think the committee took, took uh, this opportunity to uh, signal Parliament that some things need to change. And so I totally agree with the, the 11 recommendations that looked at some of the issues. But there are two that really, to me, were uh, concerning. The, the first one is, is about the windfall tax, but that one... If you actually read carefully how it is uh, presented, basically the committee is saying that if the Competition Bureau study finds any evidence of profiteering, then Parliament should actually consider a windfall tax. Here's Mm. the problem, Michael. (laughs) The study, and we've spoken to the Competition Bureau twice in the last few months, the study has nothing to do with assessing profiteering. The study looks at competitive dynamics within the food industry specifically. It is trying to learn how the food industry actually works. It doesn't It's not an investigation. And so to me, that recommendation, which is number nine, uh, is intended to pass the buck to a bureau which is likely not going to comment at all on anything really. So there's not going to be a windfall test. And I think it's, to be honest, it's it's just a – bad idea because you got to figure out where's the line like what what is excess profits what does that mean well I, let me let me just do a quick follow-up on that so from your perspective uh, as an economist a windfall tax to begin with is a is a good or bad idea let's let's not talk about the food industry let's just talk about a windfall tax i mean my reading of most history and and uh 
literature is his windfall tax wind up just increasing the price of the good and doesn't really do anything. But do you have any counter to that? Or what do you think well, of windfall well, tax? Well, banking as a windfall tax. How is that working out? Not great. Have your banking yeah. fees gone down? Well, they have because I bank at a credit union, but that's a whole different other <laughs> Well, that's um, different, but but profits have gone up. Uh, and generally speaking, I mean, banks are quite profitable in Canada. Yeah. So not an it, effective it, policy or economic tool. Is no, and, and, and windfall, I agree with you, Michael. I, windfall taxes are uh, paid for often by patrons, consumers in the end, in the end. Uh, and, and you could actually make food inflation a worse problem. And that's why, to me, I've always been uncomfortable with the concept of a windfall task in food. And frankly, taxing food retail is just the worst idea. But taxing companies, food companies even further, you're doing the same thing, but indirectly. I see. So, so in this baker's dozen of recommendations, these 13 recommendations, generally – uh, with a very broad lens, they hit the mark. A few kind of you know political swings and puts and takes. Well, recommendation uh, number one had, had to do with transparency. So, recommendation number one basically suggested to Parliament that perhaps we should ask food companies to disclose costs. Can you imagine? So uh, the Retail Council of Canada actually did comment, and I agreed 100% with their position. Mm. To actually disclose everything in public would be a huge mistake from a competitive perspective because all sure. of a sudden uh, – well, not only when, when you when it comes to spending money, you can actually start understanding formulas, secrets, yeah. how products are made, and you slowly make the whole food food industry much more homogeneous, which could eventually lead to guess what? More collusion. Right, less competition. And so, less competition. Less competition, um, yeah. Now, so, now that, so recommendation number one and recommendation number nine yeah. about the windfall task were way off as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Well, since you brought up uh, competition, uh, and we touched on this with your last episode, we were talking about spidey senses, and you know, we you are expecting something from the Competition Bureau. By the end of the month. Yep. By the end of the month, uh, yep. and we're halfway through the month, so you expect to see something soon. As you say... Uh, we might have to jump back on the mic for a live episode uh, over the summer, <laughs> uh, depending this is, on... This is supposed to be our season finale, but uh, it's yeah. going to be a busy summer, I think. <laughs> well, and, and of course, a reminder to the uh, audience, going to be busy two ways. We'll have episodes all every week, each and every week, you and I, because you and I were on the mic at the Seattle Food Innovation Show, some fantastic right. innovation. So we'll be running those all summer, but our live kind of this type of format of the news uh, returns in the fall but uh, we'll see i mean you and i have to touch base if the if the whatever comes out of that study not an investigation a study uh, is right. of any is of any kind of uh, big impact maybe we'll get back in the mic or we'll talk about it in september because you know it's the summer and everybody takes the summer off and maybe whatever um let's move on yep. to the next thing so uh, there's some buzz on social media and of course in the media itself about loblaws checking receipts now you you did an op-ed not the greatest of ideas my question to you is uh, yes. i guess i guess uh for the for the listeners who don't know in certain stores there were some signs that went up that says we have the right or i, I don't want to paraphrase but it basically we're, we might check your receipt now your your concern over this is it a concern philosophically or by the way it was 
executed. Because, you know, checking receipts on the way out is not unheard of in this country. Costco does it, for example. So where, where, where does your uncomfortableness with this lie? The execution of it or the philosophy itself? It's, it's the execution of it, really. Okay. Uh, so first of all, it's random. Uh, that's the first mistake. Secondly, they, they really, they make it a policy. And, uh, so if a lot of people are comparing Loblaw's policy with Costco, well, first of all, Costco, you're a member that's different. So there's some membership validation as part of the process. Well, you, it's Second, in the T's, it's in the T's and C's, the terms and conditions. So, so yeah. you are told uh, essentially. And so, and they check everybody. Everybody uh, on your way out, they check everyone. Love, the, which I don't love the whole thing, by the way. So that's a whole different matter. But whatever, Every, we're used to it. Whether now, or not right? it's 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 useful, I don't know. Uh, but they actually check everyone. Everyone, hundred percent, hundred percent of people. Walk so, so to me, uh, instead of making it too obvious uh, at Loblaws, I probably would have approached this. Uh, like what Walmart is doing, you know, spot checks, you got people coming in, people coming out, uh, they're looking, just making sure that there's presence there without mm. making it too obvious and randomly check receipts. That I think that's the part that I think Loblaw is, is, is not – Loblaw is not bringing the room right, I think, again, uh, from, mm. from an execution perspective. I think they should have actually allowed uh, – they should have actually had people uh, at the exit, but without really making, making an excuse for, for looking at receipts specifically. So I, my guess is that the company may actually expose itself to some real, real issues, uh, PR-wise and perhaps even legally, because you may actually end up – because uh, by asking for a receipt, you may imply that you find someone suspicious. Mm-hmm. And that's – I certainly would feel like that way. So I, I just think that the execution of it all was just a little off. You didn't all think right. so? Uh, yeah, it looked a little haphazard to me. I mean maybe it was started in some small pilot program. I mean you know, I've been involved in little pilots. Like it went up in a couple of stores. It didn't go up nationwide, small pilot. Uh, apparently the signs have come down. I mean this is all third party. I don't think uh, – I've seen oh, signs have calmed down. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just just before we jumped on the mic. I was just trying to see if Loblaws had made an official statement or what. And apparently, the signs came down. So I don't know. Like it just seems like a, a, a little bit of much ado about it's nothing. That's why I, I think it, they're reacting to thing. to the pushback. My guess. Yeah. Anyway, maybe yeah. they can. Uh, you know, like uh, like we always say, uh, whether it's a minister, or whether uh, come jump on the mic and and tell us all about it because we and, love and to, the other thing. I mean, love to just, hear more. And uh, by the way. When Costco basically makes you sign up for a membership, they actually tell you why they actually validate your mm-hmm. receipt on your way out. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, never said why. Yeah. They never said anything. And I think everyone knows why they're doing it. It's to reduce theft, store theft. Just say it. You know, yeah. Just say it. Be honest. Be open. And if store theft is the problem, invest in loss prevention. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of technology, uh, not intrusive, non-intrusive technologies that can al- allow companies to reduce theft as much as possible and not have people randomly check receipts like we're in 1950. All right. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, the, the 1950 part, I don't know if you see Walgreens in the U.S. launched a new concept uh, dep- uh, store, Walgreens being a big, uh, a big pharmacy uh, retailer in the U.S. that looks like consumers distributing. 
you like there's no product there's almost no product on the shelf you go fill in a little take your pencil fill a form and they give it to you from the really back. yeah i mean i mean they're trying to pilot something because every, so they're not allowing of, people to 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 browse well files. and listen uh. i've been to many i've been to many retailers in the states you can't even take the product from the shelf they're all locked behind glass you've got to wave your hand and someone comes and op- opens it up theft is so out of control they've had to lock yeah. everything up which which, which you know Kind of nobody wins. Anyway, so it's just interesting you got me thinking about that. Um, let's turn our minds to tourism outlook for the summer. So yeah. uh, travel is still uh, Are you going to travel mind. this summer? You know what? Uh, I'm traveling for business, uh, New York and then uh, Orlando. But other than that, we're thinking not so much. Um, you know, not just because we've already traveled a couple of times. So I hear it's very, very busy, busy. <laughs> around the country which well, is good I'll, hopefully I'll, people I'll be at, I'll be at airports this week again and I gotta tell you I mean there's lots of people yeah. traveling <laughs> well the good news is uh you know for our podcast that means uh, lots of people dining out coming to great Canadian cities yeah. uh, from coast to coast dining out not too many from China I think uh it's interesting we're here where there's some high level meetings happening in China today with the U.S. and China and part of the constraint is there's not a lot of flights anymore from China to North America, and there's not a lot of visas being issued. So the Chinese are are um, are visiting, but they're they're mostly visiting in Asia. So we still won't see the Chinese uh, tourists this year, likely in North America. But uh, yeah. the outlook, notwithstanding that, looks pretty good. But, Hopefully, but, some yeah, I, I think that summer will be a good uh, a good a good summer for uh, for hospitality and tourism industries. Uh, however, I actually think that the fall is going to you know, I think that's when we're going to see a bit of an mm. economic shift because, I mean, prices are so high, yeah. uh, flights are more expensive. I think people just want to enjoy the summer and then start thinking about, you know, what's going to happen in the fall. So my guess, and a lot of economists are saying, you know what, because Germany's in a recession now already, but they've been, they've been dealing with uh, with inflation at almost 20% steady sure. for a while. Thank you, Russia. And so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that uh, it will come back. It will start hitting North America, including the United States. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you know, but uh, borrowing is much more difficult now. Um, having access to credit is much more difficult. And as soon as that happens, it, it eventually impacts markets altogether. So, And mm-hmm. I think that that the impact, the shock will likely be in the fall. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that things are going to be super – uh, are going to change a lot, but I suspect I, I suspect a slower economy uh, in the fall. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll connect in the fall and we'll see what's uh, we'll see what's happening. But before then, uh, everybody who's in the food service business, I hope you have a wonderful summer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Certainly, certainly deserve it. Uh, well, listen. Hopefully, let's, uh, you get the staff you need too. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, you would there's believe a lot of, how many restaurants were closed on Father's Day. Like it's just, it's just they just can't get the people. Well, at least there's there's actually I, I was reading a stat. There's two hundred thousand more international students in Canada than there was in history. So there's about eight hundred thousand. So that typically, you know, when I think of Banff and I think of uh, you know the the big vacation places like that. Uh, the they're all staffed by uh, students, so hopefully at least that right. will be in place. All right, well let's take a break. Let's get to our so interesting interview with Felix Cheung. Uh, once again, all the way from Hong Kong, he uh, yes. stayed up a little bit late uh, to tell us all about his uh, food technology and uh, and how it can travel. Speaking of traveling for like uh, with no cold chain. 
Fascinating. Let's have a listen. Yep. We have the pleasure today uh, to uh, have as a special guest, uh, Dr. Felix Chung uh, from uh, Exxon Technologies. He's based out of Hong Kong, and I've been working with Felix for a little over a year now, and I've always been fascinated by, by his technology, his energy. I saw him uh, pitching a few weeks ago in Calgary at uh, InVentures. Uh, he just did a phenomenal job. And uh, so anyways, just want to welcome Felix uh, on our podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, Sylvain, for inviting me. Yes. So, Felix, can you tell uh, us more about your background and uh, why you're so interested in food technologies in general? Sure. I began my career as a scientist. So, I have a PhD degree in plasma physics from the University of Sydney. I've worked as a science editor at uh, Nature Magazine, a very uh, prestigious journal in the science community um, for seven years. And then I also pursued a master degree in food analysis and food safety management at Hong Kong Baptist University. There I learned food microbiology and all sorts of um, science related to food science. And that's how I got into food technology. Hmm. A really interesting path. Now, you're a scientist. Uh, you were, I mean, Nature is one of the most prestigious uh, journals in the world. And then, and now you're a business person. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, so what, what inspired you to start uh, Axon Food Technology and what really got you to go into business? Well, to be honest, it's, it's not because I want to make money. Uh, in fact, like, you know, if you want to make money, I think going into startup, like being an entrepreneur is probably the slowest path you can ever take. So the reason why I got into, uh, into my business is that like um, when I was working as a science editor at Nature Magazine, I was like reading into all the papers and I, I saw that there were so many pressing problems that our world faces and it's not easy to solve these pressing problems. We need something truly revolutionary in order to solve these problems. We can't just have like incremental advance. So I thought to myself, you know, given my knowledge in science, it would be, it might be useful if I merge it with something that, that touches the, the lives of everyone. And that's why I decided to pursue a, master degree in food analysis and food safety management at Hong Kong Baptist University. And there I also met my now um, business partner, Elton. Uh, he was my former classmate at uh, the Hong Kong Baptist University. And together we were doing final year project on the microbial risk of sous vide food. And just mm. by serendipity, we came up with this uh, technology, uh, advanced sous vide aseptic packaging, which allows us to store meats and seafood. At which is known also as uh, ASAP, correct? Exactly. Okay. ASAP for short. We thought it's very catchy. It really uh, reflects uh, the convenience of, the, uh, uh, of food that we package using our technology. And we figured that, you know, this technology can help us solve so many problems in the world, including food insecurity, food safety, meat quality, sustainability. And that's, I guess, how we, why we started the business. 
So could you tell us just one example of how ASAP or your technology can actually make a difference when it comes to logistics and transporting food around the world? Sure. So because, um, well, firstly, ASAP technology is a, is a food sterilization and a septic packaging technology. By combining these, uh, uh, these two processes together, ASAP enables the storage of meats and seafood at room temperature without changing the organolaptic qualities of the, of the food product. So, um, uh, because we don't need refrigeration, one thing we can do is, um, we can help reduce the carbon footprint of meats and seafood, which we know is like, um, one of the most pressing problems with, um, uh, with, uh, human consumption these days. Um, so we, uh, uh, we've worked with, uh, like many parties like Meat and Livestock Australia, All Energy Australia. They've done independent analysis that shows that by adapting our technology, we have the ability to reduce the carbon footprint of meats and seafood in logistics by 50%, both globally wow. and also domestically. Wow. Now, we've heard, we've heard that you can actually uh, keep meat uh, fresh and safe for up to two years at room temperature. Is that, is that correct? That is correct. It, the exact um, time, like a, a period of time that we can keep the product um, um, safe and also tasty depends on the type of um, meat cuts or fish cuts that we use and also whether there are marinades. So basically the formulation, mm. but um, uh, in term, given that the product is sterilized, um, uh, we can actually keep it safe for cons- consumption for at least up to two years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, so interesting. Now, you mentioned, uh, Felix, uh, I'm the simple uh, food guy here. So, you mentioned sous vide. Now, I made sous vide potato salad on the weekend. So, I know a little, I know a little bit about sous vide cooking. So, you, you know, it's a water bath at a particular temperature. Uh, you know, for those of us not steeped in the technology or the food sciences, is what you're doing basically this, you, you, you calibrate how long to put a product in a water bath at a certain temperature, and that is what accomplishes your ASAP technology? Well, yes, yeah, sous vide is, I think, uh, very trendy these days, especially in fine restaurants. Chefs yeah. love using sous vide, like a cooking technique where you put your mm-hmm. food products into a sealed vacuum-sealed bag. Yeah. And then you cook it uh, at a precise temperature, typically 60 degrees Celsius, to make meat uh, like um, cooked perfectly yeah. to medium rare um, uh, finish. We, we and, say in the, we say in the business edge to edge perfection. There's the marketer in me right there. Edge exactly. to edge perfection. <laughs> like yeah. the, the the medium rareness is uh, yeah. usually uniform. There's no gradation. It's fantastic. Yeah. You don't need to keep an eye on the meats of or during yeah. cooking. Now, sous vide is a critical step in our technology, and mm. we do use sous vide to keep our food products perfectly cooked. But um, mm-hmm. it's not just sous vide that makes our sure. technology uh, um, special. We also use um, food sterilization, particularly a high-temperature, short-time service sterilization, to eliminate all bacteria on the surface of meats and seafood, um, as well as aseptic packaging, which prevents the recontamination mm. of bacteria onto the meats. The combination of the free technology, sous vide, surface sterilization, and aseptic packaging is what allow us to keep the meats yeah, tasty, perfectly cooked, but at the same time, um, we manage to keep it 
um, uh, uh, consumable under ambient temperature for a long time. So let's pick up on this. So you've got the, the trilogy of technologies that create your ASAP technology in this wonderful, um, you know, this, this shelf life at, at room temperature. Now, how has the food industry responded to the introduction of the technology? Have they been excited? I, think, I see I, you raised some initial funds on Kickstarter. I would think there'd be a lot of people who would be interested in that, but it's, is, uh, is there skepticism or resistance? How's it going? There's definitely both excitement as well as skepticism. Uh, because, um, number one, um, you know, hearing the fact that you can keep meats and fish shelf stable at room temperature, um, like, um, and for two years, it sounds too good to be true. And it's almost yeah. like science fiction. Sure. Um, right. and, and when people think about, you know, uh, keeping food for a long time, they immediately think about preservatives and chemicals. The thing about our technology is that it's 100% thermal, physical, so we are not applying any additives or chemicals to the process. Um, and, and in fact, we can actually use our technology to make cleanable, uh, shelf-stable uh, food items. Uh, having said that, like, um, like uh, uh, for example, our Kickstarter campaign, we do have supporters. So we uh, in 2020, we sold 2,000 units of products. So uh, sirloin steak and also pork chops, and we shipped it all, to, uh, all around the world. And people who have tasted it said it was the most amazing piece of pork chop and steak they've ever tasted. Um, oh, and wow. We, we, I, I believe we could have been more successful, but in a way, I feel that it's, it's um, also a blessing in disguise that we, we only sold 2,000 units because um, at that time, we were only able to make the products manually at our Hong Kong factory. So um, basically, every piece of meats that we, we were selling, we were losing money. Um, and this is why it's very important. In order to make the process cost efficient, we need to automate the process. And that's why we are going to build a, the, the world's first pilot line, automated line, um, in Alberta, where we would be able to make this process um, 100% automated and also cost efficient. Um, and also, we recently held a tasting event um, at Edmonton Unlimited uh, on the 12th of June. And the media... Um, uh, uh, all the people who came, all the guests who came to taste our products, inclu including some of our corporate partners from uh, University of Alberta, Nate, Edmonton International Airport, they all said they were completely shocked by how great tasting <laughs> meats and seafood were. Yeah, just for for listeners, uh, I, I actually had the pleasure of tasting uh, uh, the meat. It was shipped by Felix, by Axon, from Hong Kong uh, to my home, my residence, and I was able to unpack the meat, cook it in my own kitchen, and tasted it, and uh, it was great. It was delicious. So I'm happy that the event actually went really well in Alberta. I was actually just going to ask you how it went. Yes, uh, and in fact, like uh, Sylvain, you're basically, uh, I would say, a, a, in quotation mark, a living testimony <laughs> that our product is safe. And, <laughs> That's uh, right, exactly. He had your product and he lived to tell the tale on his podcast. There, so yeah. there you go. So uh, what about, uh, so it's, people are responding well. What about regulators? I know you travel 
a lot around the world. Have you actually had an opportunity to talk to regulators about uh, about safety concerns uh, associated with the technology? Uh, what what how it's what's the response there? Well, um, the reason why we decide to make uh, Canada our first site of expansion for our business is because we want to get a food safety approval in North America. And at the same time, we believe uh, the Canadian authority, they are more open-minded to novel food as well as novel process. We've engaged uh, 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 with uh, Health Canada as well as CFIA. We've explained to them the underlying mechanism of ASAP and they welcome the idea and they, they, they understood that our process Although the, the application is very novel, it's really a combination of several frontier technologies that have already been well-researched uh, with um, documented data to prove the uh, safety. So they now they just need the details of how our process works for them to evaluate the, the safety and also give us the certification. Now, we understand that um, making a claim about Ambient storage for meat and seafood product, um, it's going to be met with multiple challenges. And because of that, in order to help us get the products early to market, we are also going to file in parallel um, chilled storage claim for the food certification. Because given that our process is 100% thermal and physical, there should be no problem in approving our products uh, on the market uh, for uh, uh, if the claim is chilled storage with extended um, uh, like uh, a, a storage period. Um, right. So we are doing both at the same time. So by having more products on the market, we are hoping that that would accelerate the approval process for the ambient food claim as well. Mm. So what? Uh, f- so for Axon, what are what are your next steps? Uh, how, how do you see the future? So you 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 you've talked to us about your plans in uh, in Alberta to build your facility. What what's next for for your company? Well, I believe the technology that we create, we're going to open up a new discipline uh, in food science, as well as a new sector in the food processing te- uh, uh, food uh, processing industry. Now, um, I hope, I think probably some of you might know the Swedish company Tetra Pak. They were the, um, they were the inventor of liquid aseptic packaging. So, you know, like for example, UHT milk, juice, Tetra juice, um, and they managed to create a, a liquid aseptic packaging market that's worth, um, 60 billion US dollars. Today. You know, that's a great example of this t- revolutionary technology. I mean, Tetra Pak is like a household word today, but how, I don't know how many, 20 years ago, it was unimaginable, right? It, that's a really good uh, metaphor or example. Well, they're the most successful food packaging innovation company in the world. And yep. um, I envisioned that our company would become the next Tetra Pak, we, where we would be specializing in solid food aseptic packaging. And I imagine that given the value of the products that we are packaging, um, the, the market that we are aiming for should be at least 130 billion US dollars. Now, have, uh, that's the, the business side. But in terms of the revolution that we're going to bring, 
I think um, we are going to make meat more accessible um, and more affordable, giving people around the world, irrespective of whether you have the infrastructure for cold chain, uh, the access yeah, and to power and electricity and yeah, everything involved with the cold chain. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the vision that I'm holding. Um, uh, and mm-hmm. I believe we can achieve that. So I guess uh, I, the last question to close things off. Uh, so you're an entrepreneur. Uh, I mean, your story is so inspiring. Uh, I've been inspired by your journey since day one, since we met. Uh, what are what are your what, what what's the one advice you would give to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs that are or scientists that are looking at, you know, making a significant difference into uh, the field of food technology in general or or food science? Uh, I would say maintain your naivety. Like um, <laughs> like like if if I knew at the beginning that the whole journey would was would have been this challenging um and that there would there was there would have be there would be so many mountains that we have to overcome maybe at that time i would be so scared that i would not pursue the journey and i think um um by having that naivety in 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 our personality we we assume there's um nothing impossible and there's always ways around a problem and that's how we actually manage to develop this technology and overcome so many scientific challenges um and so in a way um you know keeping yourself uh curious and and naive at times it really helps being an entrepreneur and doing things that changes the world Hmm. Well, it's it's fantastic advice, and 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 Felix, uh, what a wonderful journey, an amazing technology, and uh, really appreciate you joining us on the mic and 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 sharing. We wish you the best of luck. We'll we'll put links into the show notes so folks can go check out the uh, technology and the process, and you know we'll look forward to hearing more from you in the uh, months and years to come. So thanks for joining uh, Sylvain and I on the Food Professor Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Felix. Let's move on to a couple of things. Uh, food fraud report from the CFIA, 844 targeted samples uh, looking for misrepresentation. Uh, and the overall trend is not good. The overall trend no. went the wrong way, right? So talk about that. I mean, I, I think when I think food fraud, I think olive oil, I think honey, and I think mislabeled fish. That's what I think of most often. Is, it, is that some of the research that they did? So what the what they've done, and I have to uh, commend the CFI for looking into food fraud much more seriously. Uh, I've been working with the CFI for almost twenty years now, and at the very beginning, they weren't taking, they didn't thought, they didn't think that food fraud was actually in scope for them. And but now they're testing. Uh, every year they they test, uh, and in fact, this year for the first time, they've actually. Uh, tested over 800 samples, and they've looked at six categories. Uh, last year was five. This year it's, it's six. Fish, honey, meat, olive oil, expensive oils, and spices. And those are categories where you you kind of expect uh, fraud to be a problem. Mm. Now, last year they actually looked at compliance levels. But the bad news with this year's report, it was just released a few weeks ago and nobody really talked about it, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it. Um, Compliance levels are all down except for fish. 
And uh, the lowest uh, is honey at 77.5%. Yeah, honey's really uh, problematic. And, eh? lots, lots of high fructose corn syrup mixed oh, in, if you're not careful, right? Blend it in. And expensive oils, 64.3%. So in, in a nutshell, mm. uh, Michael, in Canada, you have, you have a 25% chance of buying a fraudulent product if you buy honey or expensive oils, essentially. What, what's, what's an expensive oil? Is that like avocado? What, what's an expensive oil versus an olive oil? And what do you think that is just to... Well, so any other types of uh, oils that would probably be, uh, you know, other than canola, all of the other uh, regular oils that people would use, like corn, canola, those are commodities. Okay. Uh, avocado would be would be one of them. Um, uh, I believe sunflower should be in that category. It's actually all explained in the report. Like I said, it kind of. Nobody really reported on it. <laughs> I didn't it. see any news on this. I'm like, is this a new report? We'll have to put a link into the show notes because it's fascinating stuff. I was impressed by uh, – I was looking at the numbers you sent me. Meat, 99.1%. It's fantastic. So yeah. tells us when you buy meat, you know, you're getting what uh, – other than 0. 0.10, you're getting exactly um, – Exactly what you the, the the meat result was really interesting because uh, the most well known food fraud case in the world is the horse meat scandal in the UK. So that's when right. people horse, think horse about horse meat lasagna, that's right, horse meat. That's lasagna, right. right. When when people think about food fraud, they think about meat, but uh, the compliance rate in meat in Canada was at ninety nine point one percent. So that's certainly good news for our livestock okay. industry. And and fish, you know, I, I you know, fish can be mislabeled in any number of ways. Ninety two point seven, ninety three percent. It's not bad, but not but bad. it does it does exclude food service. By the way, they didn't look at ah, okay. restaurants, and that's so they, where I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right. Well, that's a that's a great uh, a great find. We'll put the link in the show notes. Now, uh, speaking of a, a, a database, CBC's launched a shrinkflation database. What's going on here? Is that uh, where are they getting their numbers? And is there have any you validity looked at to it? This? I, you sent it to me, and I was looking at. I got. I got. I went down a rabbit hole in Felix site actually into the into his X on technology, and then I, I'm I like, oh my god, you, I mean, I, the CBC did something that was needed. Mm. Uh, I think in French, it's Radio Canada, not the CBC, and I've been working with them uh, for the last few months, and I've always told them, you know, you can't really regulate or you shouldn't regulate shrinkflation. It's a strategy. I mean, people will be upset, and but you may want to actually create a, a database to let people know, you know, if uh, if what's changed and what's changing. And, and that's exactly what they did. So they made a call out to people and people are sharing cases with them. And, and so this is, oh, this database is public and open and very detailed with pictures and numbers. So it doesn't matter if you don't speak French, you can just go on a website and you understand exactly uh, which product has been subject to shrinkflation? I it's, thought it's kind of crowdsourced, is what you're saying. They, they probably got it, they probably got it started, but then they crowdsourced. Send us an example that you've seen exactly. or whatever, right? And oh, I, I thought it's really well done. It's easy to find. It's right. easy to understand. And uh, and so instead of uh, of just being upset at home and and figuring out, oh my God, mm. I got at least it's out there. And yeah. I've always argued that perhaps manufacturers should be you know, should be open about it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I know many manufacturers 
have, have, have avoided this topic, but mm-hmm. it's out there. People know. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and I think it's just, yeah, and they have and on the CBC website, they actually have dates of when they believe huh. shrinkflation occurred. So it's not just about like, most people think it's some shrinkflation that actually happened like last month. Not really. You notice probably last oh, month, but yeah, yeah, really yeah. it's been a few years. So they, they, I think they bring some context to this whole notion of shrinkflation, which I think is needed, but I actually do believe it's going to help industry in okay. terms of the transparency required. Yeah. Well, they need some help, uh, our manufacturers, <laughs> uh, in their practices. Uh, let me just leave it on the table there. Yeah. Uh, last thing, RBC Report uh, talks about high food prices here to stay because of climate change and labor shortages. And they, they yes. the report just issued basically said food prices are, are starting to moderate a bit because uh, some things are, are better than they were. But because of these two factors, they're likely to not go down. Now, I, I found that out that that conclusion pretty bleak because it kind of assumes that there's no solution to labor shortages and you and i've talked about many solutions to labor shortages, and there's no solution to climate change but you're the one who develops the sophisticated model i mean are these two factors um fixed i mean is there i mean we're talking to felix i mean right there felix got a solution potentially to both those things like random like just dramatic uh, disrupting innovation can change the course of the prices of food, or yeah. do you think they're they're onto something? And and what, what's your what's your final? Well, I mean, I I saw RBC's report, and mm-hmm. frankly, I agreed with them. Uh, I mean, so there are some things uh, that are costing more, and I mean, you want technologies like Felix to offset the impact of the right. cost of labor and other things, right. and you get companies to manage supply chains differently as well but that takes time it takes time yeah yeah shocks are 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 really changing uh the baseline that companies uh, are looking at when it comes to costing so i i honestly i think rbc was right uh, is right uh mm. there's prices aren't going to drop and and i well, i get that question a lot and frankly it's i think it's really important to let people know uh, about what's what is really going on to reset their expectations for yeah. the uh, for the foreseeable future i mean it gets it, i was thinking all the way back to our first episode of the season where we talked about the food innovation challenge right growing uh fruit in uh in a, in a different way becoming fruit sustainable in canada and the people growing product in in the mines in sudbury i mean i just yeah. think there's you know I'm, I'm a big believer in in ingenuity and innovation we you and i experience it firsthand when we go to events like Seattle or when we talk to people like Felix. So uh, I guess that that could be the upside. Well, listen, a great episode. And uh, like I said uh, in uh, at the beginning, this is our last episode of you and I live together on the mic for uh, for the summer. But we've got lots of great content coming up. So don't sleep. Uh, don't unsubscribe. Don't do anything silly like that because we got lots of great stories, lots of great content coming up for the summer. And we'll be back for season four uh, in the fall. I suspect we'll have lots to talk about. Uh, once again, we've already got interviews lined up for season four. So yes, until then, uh, listen, uh, you and I will be in touch, but on the podcast, have a wonderful summer, uh, and, uh, have an enjoyable summer with you and, uh, and the family and running through barefoot through the forest or whatever the hell you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't call me Bigfoot. Don't call me Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, I'm Michael Block, consumer growth consultant, public paid speaker, just in case you're wondering. And podcaster. And you are? I'm the food professor, Sylvain Chalabois. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, be sure and tell your friends and family to tune in uh, to our show. And until next time, have a safe summer. Take care.